Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, Episode 6, The Enemy Within. Welcome again, cadets. It's time for another Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. And I'm the evil side of John Champion. And I'm Dark Ken Ray. And all four of us are here to do what we do best. Watch every single episode of Star Trek in broadcast order and then tell you what we thought. Or more precisely, we're like Scotty, repairing a malfunctioning transporter, telling you what works, what doesn't, and how to put all the parts back together into a whole. On today's show, two Kurtz aren't always better than one. It's the enemy within. Which, already we gotta stop right there, because it is in fact the enemy without. <laughs> he's without it? <laughs> well, no, he's walking he around he's, outside, right? We've all got... He's walking around outside, yeah. He, I don't want to spoil the end of this show, but we've all got, you know, that thing inside us, except for Kirk, in this episode. And he's just out there just having a grand old time, <laughs> throwing back the brandy. and Yep, his, yeah. his evil insider's out swinging. It is. <laughs> well, let me tell you a little bit about this episode, Ken. First of all, it was directed by Sean Penn's dad, Leo Penn. Get out. I know. He had a long and illustrious career directing TV. Bonanza, and I, I think uh, all the way up to Matlock was some of his later work. But he really? directed. Yeah. I totally want to go back and see the Leo Penn episode to Matlock. Right. It's the one with evil Andy Griffith. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this episode is written by the prolific Richard Matheson. Um, he, he wrote a ton of sci-fi, a ton of early television. But most appropriately here, he is the guy who wrote that Twilight Zone episode with Shatner screaming about the thing on the wing of his plane. Nightmare at 20,000 feet. That's the one. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we have a couple of firsts here. Now, even though we reviewed The Naked Time previously because they were shown out of production order when they actually went to broadcast, that's the first time we saw the Vulcan nerve pinch. But it was actually invented for this episode. So uh, th this was the famously the one that Leonard Nimoy came up with because he needed a nonviolent way to subdue evil Kirk. You know, that actually makes the uh, the line that I guess was in The Naked Time a bit more interesting or a, a, a bit more sensible when Kirk says, you're going to have to teach me how to do that sometime. Oh, right. Because See, that, that was the first time we had seen it as an audience, but Kirk's familiar with it. Then again, it could just be, well, Kirk's familiar with it because he's familiar with Spock and apparently he's walking around doing that all the time. Spock just says it to everybody. <laughs> it's yeah. like he'll, he'll skip out on a bar tab just by pinching it's, the guy. It's yeah. a party trick. Right. Um, and another first year. I'm a big, big fan of the Captain Kirk green wraparound uniform. <laughs> and I think you know what I mean, you know? <laughs> well, I know what you mean by the green wraparound uniform. I'm a little... Uh, <laughs> tell me more about your fandom. I just mean that, you know, if you were to uh, embody Captain Kirk, it's mm -hmm. like th this is the, the cool, sexy, kind of playboy after dark, casual <laughs> Captain Kirk. He's got the wraparound. He's got a little bit of the chest showing. So if we could all pull that off, that's the Kirk we would pull off. Interesting. Because to mm -hmm. me, it's, it's like it's only about a step and a half to two steps above him showing up on the bridge in his bathrobe. That's how cool Kirk is. <laughs> And you know what? We learn an awful lot about the transporter here. Of course, it was created so that you didn't have to land the ship 
on the planet every episode, but now we get to see Scotty tinker with it a whole lot and kind of explain what's going on. So uh, there's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff to be mined here for uh, the fans who want to go dig deep into the trivia of Star Trek. Hey, wait! Before we even start talking about the episode, though, I feel like we have. Uh I feel like we've been remiss. We've had a few people write to us and say, how do we get in touch with you? How do we comment on you know, what you're doing? And it's not really fair to say we've been remiss. When we started recording, we didn't know how. But now <laughs> we do know how. So if you're one of those Twitter people, at Mission Log Pod. I don't mean for that to sound dismissive. I'm one of those Twitter people from way back. At Mission Log Pod is the show's Twitter handle. Or if you want to email us, Mission log at Roddenberry.com, or if you want to go truly analog, John. <laughs> you can actually call us. Crazy. You can pick up the phone and you can call 323 522 5641. That is also our Skype number, Skype Mission Log Pod. And remember, whatever you say could be used on a future episode of the Mission Log. Today on a very special mission log, we ponder the fate of dogs in costumes, and witness one man's split with his nearest and dearest. We join the ever-active Enterprise away team on a specimen-gathering mission on planet Alpha-177. One of the specimen, a dog in a unicorn costume by the looks of it, it's a sweet thing, for now. Crewman Fisher hurts his hand and is ordered up to the Enterprise to have it checked out. Unmindful of the yellow ore covering his clothes, he beams up, though Scotty has a wee bit of trouble pulling him through. Next to beam up, Captain Kirk, though he comes through a bit woozy. Scotty escorts him to his cabin. While no one is in the transporter room, a second, more sinister-looking Kirk materializes, and we hit the opening credits. Act 1. A Logie Captain Kirk heads to bed while Enemy Within Kirk, or Alt-Kirk, goes to sickbay and demands brandy which he starts swigging as he heads to the quarters of Yeoman Rand. Spock checks in with Logie Kirk, having heard from Dr. McCoy that Kirk's been acting like a wild man. Kirk tells Spock that Bones must have been pulling his leg. Off they go to check the status of the transporter, where they find the dog in a unicorn costume, docile as ever, and a second dog in a unicorn costume, all teeth and snarls. Scotty says it's physically the same dog in a unicorn costume, though split into a nice, sweet Logie dog and an angry alt dog. Fearing the same might happen to the away team, Scotty says they dare not beam them back, which is an issue since it's going to be wicked cold on Alpha-177. Like 120 degrees below zero cold. And where is Alt-Kirk? Trying to force his physical attention on Yeoman Rand. She scratches his face and calls for help. Alt-Kirk is spooked by the appearance of Crewman Fisher, who he proceeds to beat up. Logie-Kirk is quizzed about his behavior with Yeoman Rand, since as far as they know currently, there is just one Kirk. After a bit of questioning Rand, they realize there are in fact two. Act 2. Spock and Logie-Kirk set to finding Alt-Kirk. Can't kill him, though, since they have no idea what that'll do to Logie Kirk if they do. Logie Kirk says they should warn everybody, though Spock points out that that could jeopardize his command. Logie Kirk agrees, but ends up doing it anyway after basically realizing he's lost his strength of will. Thing is, Alt-Kirk hears the announcement, works to hide the identifying scratches made by Rand, and sets himself to hiding. But Alt-Kirk and Logie Kirk are both Kirk, so Logie Kirk figures out where Alt-Kirk would go. Below decks in engineering, Logie Kirk finds Alt-Kirk. While Logie Kirk warns Alt-Kirk that he can't kill him, Alt-Kirk tries to, stopped only by a pinch on the neck from Mr. Spock. With Alt-Kirk safely bound in sickbay, Spock says, this will be an awesome time to study the duality of man. 
Meanwhile, we learn that the shot meant for Logie Kirk has hit the transporter system. Scotty says he'll need at least a week to fix it, which would leave the away team to freeze, thaw, refreeze, rethaw, refreeze. And you get the idea. Act 3. Both Logie Kirk and Alt Kirk are dying. Until they join hands and Logie Kirk tells Alt Kirk to pull it together and use his mind. Seems to do the trick for both of them, at least for a while. Logie Kirk realizes the two must once again become one, though the idea sickens him. He wants to be without his animal and ugly self. Still, what can you do? Spot calls Kirk to the transporter room. It looks like it's fixed, though they want to try it out on the dog in a unicorn costume first. That does not go well. The dog in a unicorn costume does not survive reunification. Act 4. Bones and Spock argue over what killed the animal. Bones would like to investigate, though Spock says there's really no time. He's convinced that Kirk's, with their brain functions higher than a dog's in a unicorn costume, could survive the shock of being recombined since they'd know what was happening. Logie Kirk is unsure until he hears from the away team, which is obviously succumbing to the intense cold. He unstraps Alt-Kirk, who makes a break for it, and tries to take control of the Enterprise. Ultimately, this fails. Logie Kirk takes Alt-Kirk through the transporter, and out comes one reunified Captain Kirk. The away team is saved, and we are on to another planet, which is a story for another time. So here we have Kirk again, uh, expressing his desire for Yeoman Rand. Didn't we just see that a couple of weeks ago um, yeah. in uh, The Naked Time? Um, He's got a thing for Rand, and um, it, it makes you wonder what would have been if she had stuck around on the ship. Um, but obviously, she didn't make it through the first season. Um, but I, I have to wonder, you know, if making Kirk have that uh, tragic side when it comes to love is uh, maybe what helped Star Trek from having a, a jump the shark moment. Well, you know, if Kirk and Yeoman Rand had hooked up. That would have been bad. I don't know, though, that it would have been like a... I don't know that there's a jump-the-shark moment. I don't know that there's actually any real story there, except she's sort of a constant reminder of... Her presence in the show would have been a constant reminder of uh, duty over desire. I mean, Kirk may always want her, but he can never have her because he's the captain and she's the... uh, She's the omen. She's one of his crew people. It's like, you know, it's like dating at work if you're the boss. Not necessarily a good idea. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, um, I, you know, I know that I've pointed out before, so this would be the last time that I do it. But again, we have that jump in the uh, captain's log a couple of times where uh, he's on there describing what the rest of the crew doesn't actually know yet. Mm-hmm. So um, I think you surmise that maybe he's just going back in and editing the records retroactively, <laughs> maybe changing the uh, captain's log. Well, bear in mind, though, it's also a television show. I mean, you're catching people in commercials, right? Very I, much I don't so. know what happens yeah. in your house, but if I don't have the remote, I mm-hmm. I probably see about half of a TV show because um, uh, my my lovely better half, mm-hmm. uh, she cannot stand commercials, and so if we're watching a show and a commercial comes on, she immediately flips to something else, and it might be a good ten fifteen minutes before we come back. Mm-hmm. So I mean the, yeah. the the captain's log is both. I mean you're right in universe you can say wow he's doing some weird editing you know otherwise. But you've also got to remember that um, they are sort of catching people up who maybe started off watching uh, the aforementioned Andy Griffith show right. and, you know, flipped over halfway through to, I don't know if they were actually competing, but who flipped over halfway through to, a, you know, to Star Trek or people who just got home. It's a, it's right. a, it's a good sort of like, it's a good uh, a cliff note of, okay, here's everything you missed. 
They do that on TV now where they'll, they'll repeat like the last, you know, minute before they went to commercial. Yep. And, uh, and you'll have the, the kind of recap. Yeah, it's, uh, and it eats a, a little time it's as a, well. It's a time-honored tradition all the way back to the cliffhanger, though, if you remember. I mean, go back to um, Captain Video or Flash Gordon, something like that. You see uh, mm-hmm. Dale Arden hanging over a pit of fire about to die, and that's where it ends. And then the next week, you'll, you'll start off with that. You pick so, up with it. Yep. Yeah, you pick up where you left off. Exactly. So it's right. it's good shorthand for the audience as well. Here's a question for you, Ken. Go. Um, do you have makeup in your bedroom? I do mean, makeup I? for you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh. Um, you see, you see. I know what you're asking because because mm-hmm. it's weird that once once Alt Kirk realizes that he's got to cover the scratches, he just reaches for the pancake makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wasn't convinced that he wasn't in Yeoman Rand's quarters at that point. Mm, could have been, could have been, but man, he knew right where that makeup was. He did, he was like, yeah. He, did. I mean, he may, he may be, be the evil, non-intellectual Captain Kirk, but he just he knows. Like, I'm going to go straight for the makeup. Well, if if there's one thing that uh, Captain Kirk's id knows, it's 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 a lady. Yeah, and so he's going to know if he is in Yeoman <laughs> Rand's quarters, then he's going to know where that is. Yeah, I thought he was actually standing in front of the same mirror that Rand was standing in front of when. When he, you know, comes out of the the shadows. By the way, pretty banging cabin for like a lower, <laughs> a lower yeah. officer. Rand's got like some serious. She's got some serious real estate on the Enterprise. There's a lot of space, and you have the uh, the the cabinets, the the little chest that hides in the wall. Yeah, I really want that. <laughs> I, I don't think my landlord would like that at all if I knocked a hole in the wall. Yeah, and I uh, had a rotating chest of drawers that uh, that pulled out. But, yeah. <laughs> Might be kind of nice though. It would be. You it's also super cool. I, I checking the notes here. You also have a great question. I love this yeah. question. So uh, okay, here's why, the thing. Why? Yeah, go yeah. do it. No, go ahead and, and ask. Well, well, let me just set the scene, because at the end of the episode, you have the the frozen uh, Sulu and the rest of the uh, crew members who are on the planet absolutely covered in frost. They they are not in good shape at all. They beam them up immediately, whisk them off to sickbay. But uh, where's the doctor? He's just hanging out in the transporter room. He just, he just doesn't even watch them go out. He's got his back turned. The guys are being wheeled out on gurneys. And he's like, eh, they've got frostbite. It's it's actually it's it's wonderful the nonchalance with that and maybe it speaks to the level of technology that we have at that point. Now the only thing I'll argue with you about is he is actually watching them be wheeled out. He does not have his back turned. But what he but, says as they're going uh, out is frostbite. I think they'll make it. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> sort of like, wow. Okay. Really? Do you want to check? Yeah. I mean, just yeah. a thought, you know, because I understand you think you know, but I mean, they were gathering specimen. Who knows what happened down there? Right. Could be yeah. a lot going on. Yeah. Could, so. could indeed. Yeah. Oh, well. But I mean, if you want to if you want to if you want to cut it some slack, if you want to cut that part some slack, please. Medicine is so far advanced. He knows right. they're, they're going to be fine. Please. Ah, they're going to be fine. I'm more worried about what happened to you, Kirk. Let's talk about that. Right. <laughs> well, he's he's a very philosophical man. He just has very poor bedside manner at this point. With Logie Kirk and Alt Kirk roaming the Enterprise and trying to command it, is one better than the other, or are they merely two sides of the same coin? So I'm going to go way out on a limb here, Ken, and I'm going to say the topic of the week is the duality of man. End of show. We're done. I'm going to walk out of the office, and uh, I'll see you later. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty, I mean, it's, yeah. I don't want to say it's black and white. I don't want to say it's cut and dry, but yeah. I mean, good and that, evil, that, maybe? There, I don't want to say it's good and evil. That's the thing, mm. too. I mean, because that's certainly part of the whole point. I mean, do the duality of man argument, and then there is no good and there is no evil. It's like um, it's like uh, the pastor said in uh, The Grapes of Wrath. There is no good. There is no bad. There's just things people do. Yeah. And uh, but, but we've got, we but we got both of those in us at all times. Yeah, and I think that's a very Star Trek kind of point of view. Mm-hmm. Is that um, you, you kind of take a neutral stance instead of just labeling something as evil or labeling it as good. Now Spock does kind of go through a, a, a list. He says that the evil side is lust and uh, his, his sort of passion's gone wild, and the good side is his intellect and its compassion. But at the same time, they're both necessary, so we're not necessarily making a judgment call on it. Totally, we're just making, it, they to- totally exist. making a judgment call, though. I mean, this was kind of the interesting thing. It is completely a judgment call. And it's it's the Vulcan way, and that's fine. I mean, it's definitely not the Klingon way. It's definitely not the Romulan way. It's very much the Vulcan way. But Logie Kirk, and mm-hmm. sorry, I just assigned those names. I apologize. Sure. They don't call him yeah. that. But Logie Kirk is sort of the more uh, – we're led to believe that he's the more rational, but he's actually right. losing his mind all the way through it. Right. I mean, Logie right. Kirk is just Logie Kirk. I, I did find myself wondering, and this and this may be just being argumentative for the sake of being argumentative, but that's kind of part of what we do. Um, maybe if they had given, you know, maybe if they had given the reins to Alt Kirk, we don't know. I mean, that's it's kind of funny to me. It's like, okay, well, the one who can barely make a decision, the one who's like thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking without ever actually mm-hmm. coming to a conclusion, he's the one we're going to follow. And then that 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 wild man, as he was referred to, he's not the one we're going to follow, even though they acknowledge in conversation that both are necessary to make a complete, well, to make a complete captain, but also to make a complete person. And yet that 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 sort of like uh, the more passionate is the one that really is the one that's to be shunned or or disdained. And this kind of speaks to the whole dynamic of the show anyway. There's that great scene where um, they, they've got Alt-Kirk on the bed, and Spock is just rattling off exactly what's going on. He, he's there for exposition at that point, mm-hmm. and he's just saying, you know, for, forgive my callousness. Forgive me if I seem insensitive, but I'm just going to spell out what's happening because I like the idea of studying it. And meanwhile, McCoy's in the background is waving his hands, you know, are you crazy? What are, you know, And they're leaving the decision to Kirk, but they're leaving the decision to, as you say, Logie Kirk, um, (laughs) who who is indecisive. But this is the whole dynamic of Star Trek, is that you've got Spock just saying factually what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then you've got McCoy, who is nothing but unbridled passion and emotion. And then they they both have to rely on Kirk. But unfortunately, we have kind of a, a half a Kirk. We have a hobbled Kirk here who can't very well make that decision. So then it takes a big, big leap of faith to just go ahead with the plan. It's a huge risk. Well, yes. Well, they just killed the unicorn dog. <laughs> Are you going to get in a transporter after the unicorn dog dies? Um, well, I mean, it is. It, they do make sort of an interesting... There's, there's, we're leaving the metaphysics off of it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we're we're definitely talking about psychology. We're definitely talking about duality of man, but we're not really talking about. Okay, so let me get this straight. If you and I, or maybe let's say you and Yeoman Rand, or let's mm-hmm. say me and Yeoman Rand, uh, I like the previous one better. <laughs> right, go ahead. That's, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> if you get in the transporter and hug, you're not going to come out as one thing. No. And now you you see why you may not like 
<laughs> the one right. that you thought you would. And so, I mean, just to put two physical Kirks in one transporter pad and and go, because that, that was kind of, I'm not looking for flaws, but that was sort of like, okay, well, we know now that if you put two Kirks in the transporter, one will come out. Does that really mean that it's okay to bring everybody back up from the surface <laughs> right. of the planet? Because we right. may still end up with two and then still need to like go back and recombine them. And maybe that's what happened. Who knows? We're leaving that part of it off. I, I, I still get stuck on – I mean, there's no question you don't want – when I said – I was trying to avoid some uh, some ugly talk when I said that uh, Alt-Kirk forces physical affection on Yeoman Rand or tries to yeah. – or physical attention on Yeoman Rand. He tries to rape her. He does. Okay, yeah. you really don't want a rapist in charge of the Enterprise. I'm right. with you on that. And yet um, there does seem to be a breakdown <sighs> – I don't know. I mean, it's almost, I mean, going with Logie Kirk is almost an argument for the Vulcan way in a way. I mean, the Vulcans have always, you know, they've got, they've got this, this, this passion. They've got this anger. They've got this heat under the surface, but they're constantly, you know, keeping that down for, for logic. Although, you know, sexism's fine. Right. Right. Well, yeah, I, I really I felt very bad for Yeoman Rand because and it could just be a, a product of its time where there's that yeah. scene where after the attack, she's explaining to Good Kirk and McCoy and Spock what happened. And she keeps turning her head away. And clearly she's she's terrified. And she keeps deferring to Kirk on this saying, but you're the captain. So I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. And I just felt no, 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 no. This is the 23rd century. You're a woman, you're a professional. And it doesn't matter if it's the captain or anybody else. You take him down. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, and and, and right. Yes, I, I don't disagree. There actually struck me as uh, maybe not the best idea for Kirk to rush in. Right. You know, what, right. with, with what just yeah. happened as far as she knows. Now, granted, yeah, as yeah. the viewer, we know that there are two. But that's not even the part that I was talking about with sexism. No, I'm talking about at the end when, when Kirk's like, so. I mean, not, not Kirk. I'm sorry, Spock. It's sort of like, so there really was something to Alt-Kirk, though. Wasn't there, Yeoman Rand? I mean, <laughs> right. dude, seriously. You have no emotions and no tact yeah. in, in this second. But that's... Forgive me. I mean that again, as you say, that is sort of product of the times. Go back to go back to. I mean, well, I don't want to jump to the lesson part yet. I don't want to jump to the moral part yet. What did we? I mean, what did we learn about, or what? What was your feeling about the whole duality thing? This is what disturbs me because then you you have to ask: Is this what Kirk's other half is really like? Like, if Kirk had his way, if he wasn't bound to the job. Would he just start walking around swigging Saurian brandy and having his way with the female crew members? You know, the, the, to say that that side is the the rash kind of um, uh, more emotional, more passionate side is one thing. But to display it as this horrendous behavior, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just have to wonder, is, is that what they're really saying that he's like underneath? Well, part of him is. Yes. But yeah. I mean, I think, well, the whole point is that part of us, part of all of us are like that. I mean, go back to, I joked about the dog in the unicorn costume, but I mean, it's actually, mm -hmm. actually, I, I actually like the costume. It's kind of cute because it's got a horn and it's got a couple of antenna. And it's really small. It's like a lap dog, but with a, you're, you're going to get one for your dog, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I've already started working on it. Good. No, but I mean, I don't think it's fair to say, is this what Kirk would be if he didn't have the job? Because this is not what anybody would be if they didn't have the job. I mean, this is, they use the dog as an illustration. I mean, there is this absolutely docile, can barely turn its head version of the, the dog animal. 
And then there's also this one that they can't touch. Points to Scotty, by the way, for reaching in there. I'm going to try mm. to grab oh, yeah. it. I mean, are, are there no gloves on the Enterprise? Really? <laughs> right. But okay. Um, I mean, it's it, I mean, it's it's dividing out what people are. So no, I don't think it's saying that this is what Kirk is. I think it's saying that somewhere inside Kirk there is that potential. But I mean, it's also saying in a grander scale, and this is again what we try to do with each episode. Somewhere inside of us all is that episode. We're a constant battle. Um, go back to the Greeks. I mean, it's it's Eros versus Psyche. Yeah, it's 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 love versus thought. Although, I think the whole point is it's not love versus thought. And maybe, I mean, while you can say that this is sort of propaganda for the Vulcan way, you can also say that it's an indictment of the Vulcan way, because it's not ultimately love versus psyche, it's ultimately love and psyche. The two are intertwined, because when you go with one over the other, you either end up with like this overthinking it, can't make a decision, doesn't know what to do, wrap around green suit wearing guy. Mm-hmm. Or you end up with heavy eyeliner, ready-for-action outfit Kirk, who may be walking around raping people and drinking himself silly. Oh, and also willing to abandon everybody, because that's the other thing. I, I left it off in the, uh, in the, in the, uh, in the recap, but when, when he goes to seize control, Alt-Kirk has absolutely no care or feeling for the people down below. What he wants is what's best for him. What's best for him is to be in control, and so hanging around, fixing the transporter... Um, not even a thought. Nope. Change yeah. my mind. <laughs> the guy's down there probably going to be dead anyway. We're out of here. I got yeah. other places to be. Right. So, so I don't think it's, I don't think it's saying that, you know, that's ultimately what Kirk is. I think it's saying ultimately that's what any of us could be. And it's, it's everything that makes us not the worst that we could be in a way. It's everything that we are. It's everything that goes before it. it it's, it's all parts of us that make us. I mean, there is a duality to man, but it's not. This is not in praise of the duality of man, unless it's just in praise of accepting the fact that we've got both sides of that uh, in each of us. Well, and, and going back to that kind of list that uh, uh, that Spock was making to to sort of decide which Kirk had which traits, and then McCoy jumps in, and I and I thought what he said was really interesting that that the courage comes from the logical, intelligent side. You know, mm. that, that, that's what it would allow him to analyze the situation. You could make a decision about it. And that's kind of what, what was the, the downside to that. But the intelligence trumps the fear. So even though evil Kirk had the, uh, the, the passion and the anger and this id run wild, um, he was still a fearful version of himself because that's a pretty strong emotion to have a base emotion if you will that's a, uh, that's a really interesting point the second that mm-hmm. he hears that the whole crew is looking for him he goes and hides in the bowels of the ship and, yeah. and not even not even just like trying to find a room to hide he actually hides on top of machinery where nobody will look right and right. does not approach anybody until he feels he can literally get the drop on them and he's so afraid in the end that he's willing to uh, again, try to physically take out Good Kirk to avoid the whole transporter. A, the transporter is a, it's a risk. It's a calculated risk, but it is a risk. And um, Evil Kirk will do anything to not die. Yeah. Even though he is physically dying because he's half a man. Well, I wonder if it's that he will do anything to not physically die or if it's that he will do anything to not be sort of subsumed back into subsumed rather back into Kirk as a whole. Sure. Do you, do you know what I mean? I mean, certainly yeah, yeah, he physically exactly. doesn't want to die, but he's willing to 
he's willing to risk that if he can be sort of the um, prime Kirk, right. I guess, or the or the um, you know the the winning Kirk. Right. Um, he's willing right. to risk that by killing uh, Logie Kirk. Hmm. You know, it, uh, <laughs> um, I just wanted to point out a couple of things. You know, a, a few weeks ago when we were talking about. Um, where no man has gone before. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that Gary Mitchell was reading Spinoza and Spinoza was the the philosopher who tried to you know really put a nail in the coffin of the whole dualism idea uh, that that we are something other than our biology. And I think there's a little bit of a, a parallel here that the transporter physically is breaking down a person and then assembling a physical being that is that person on the other side. So we are tearing apart the biology of Captain Kirk here, but the biology then defines the personality. Hmm. So again, it's sort of the, the, a similar idea here um, that, that there is something inherent within his, his neurochemistry, his neurology that says that these are all the traits that are good and then these are all the traits that are bad and they are physically manipulated by that transporter. I thought that was really kind of cool to see that here. Um, and, and it's what sci-fi does really well, which is to say here's a totally abstract concept of personality, of good, of evil, of compassion, of emotion, and we are going to make them physical. We're going to make them a, a literal thing that we can put out in the light and then analyze. So I thought that that's kind of one of the most interesting things to me about this episode. It is an interesting part. I mean, it goes to, I mean, it goes to the, to the idea of wondering whether we'll be able to replicate the human brain at some point, right? I mean, and yeah. I, I guess the question is, I mean, do you believe in, in sort of a spirit or an otherworldliness thing, or are we just a series of switches? I mean, on and off switches, ones and zeros. Does everything that happened to us actually affect part of the brain to sort of encode the personality as opposed to, well, no, there's just sort of this ethereal or ethereal or ethereal, rather, <laughs> um, something that makes us, you know, people as opposed to just animals. That's a whole. And, that's a whole other thing, though. That that yeah, that gets yeah. me. We need some some brandy. <laughs> if we're <laughs> going to have I, that talk, well, and we will have that talk. But I, I I would argue to start with that this episode maybe leans on that side that there is not an ethereal other thing that that Kirk is. Uh, his personality is a product of his biology, and the transporter just makes that um, more acute when we have that accident. Hmm. See, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I would uh, go with that. No. Oh. Well, because I mean, it seems to me. I mean, the transporter is basically making uh, accidentally, obviously, but it's making good Kirk and bad Kirk. I mean, if you're talking about just malfunctioning, it's going to flip some of the switches in the brain one way and some of the switches in the brain another way. Why wouldn't we end up with mute Kirk and loud Kirk? Or why wouldn't we end up with, you know, shaved his head this morning, Kirk, and didn't shave his head this morning, Kirk? I mean, there are so many different there's so many different uh, A, B choices that somebody might make. Why would it automatically come out good and evil? I mean, it's hard for me to imagine that the transporter has a – do you think they have like a, like a, like a, a, a rheostat for, oh, let's make him a little bit more angry today? They might. You don't know. <laughs> there's a lot of buttons on that transporter. You think it's you up know? to Scotty? Uh, yeah. Captain was a wee bit pissy this morning, wasn't he? So he's going to like, you know, bring him back just a little bit nicer. Just a, uh, just a tiny you know. bit. 
Yeah, maybe, maybe maybe he could uh, lay off the donuts in the morning. So we'll bring him back a little more svelte next time. Having hugged it out, Logie Kirk and Alt Kirk are once again the unified Captain Kirk. So, does their story bear consideration today? Well, it's that time again, the time where we try to figure out what the messages were, or sum up what the messages were, figure out if the messages stand the test of time, as well as the production. You want to start with the production, or you want to start with the messages, John? Uh, you know, let's start with the production this time. All right, time. go for it. Um, it. This is one of the most memorable episodes to me. I think this is one of the ones that I had on VHS, and I watched over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. But I have to say that this time around watching it, I... All the little shortcomings really stood out to me again. This is, to put it mildly, highly stylized. So you've got the very intense lighting every time we see Evil Kirk, and then you've got the nice soft glow when you see Good Kirk. Um, Evil Kirk has makeup, and I don't just mean the makeup that he stole to hide the uh, scratches. I mean, he's got eyeliner yeah. or guy liner, if you will. Yeah. Um, and so I like it as kind of a piece of nostalgic television, but I think the production gets in the way. Like, it's a good story. Um, but I think if you were to do this now, it would be done in a very, very different way. I'm not sure I agree. Really? Now, why is that? Well, here, let me just point out one other thing before you rebut this, because um, one thing that a lot of people tend to... Uh, hang on to about this episode is evil Kirk's yelling and screaming and posturing and all of this stuff. And that's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, big shout out to William Shatner, because for all the things you say about his acting, the other side of this, when he's playing the docile Captain Kirk is great. I, I think he has some terrific moments here. And I enjoyed watching him play the indecisive, softer, compassionate side. I think he's just as good at that as playing the over-the-top evil Kirk. Mm-hmm. This has to have been a fun episode for him. No doubt. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't there, and I can't, I can't say for certain, but um, he really gets to chew the scenery. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, he does get to play that understated sort of, you know, quiet. I mean, and, and what's really interesting is you actually get to see him do a range of that. I mean, he comes back when I said that he beams back aboard the Enterprise, a little woozy. That's really about as bad as it is, as far as he knows. He's a little woozy. And right. we see him just like go on this continuing um, decline to where he can barely speak. Like at one point, I thought he hung up on Sulu. Yeah. <laughs> just because yeah, right. Like, right. It's just like it's also taxing and so tiring. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, uh, uh, Shatner gets made fun of a lot for his, uh, quote, acting, end quote, but uh, his ability to act was on display here. Right. Um, as far as whether you would actually film this episode differently, this episode is, it feels like it calls upon Kirk to play two archetypes. I mean, it calls upon him to play, again, to go back to it, Eros and Psyche. I mean, he's got to play two extremes of humanity. And mm-hmm. so to to pull any of that back, it feels to me would 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 dampen the message. I mean, to make it more realistic would would make uh, would make the episode completely unrealistic. I think I'm I'm fine with the uh, with with the makeup and the production and all of it because this is it's not quite a dumb show, but it's close. 
Uh, the dumb mm-hmm. show, of course, being the part in like in Shakespearean plays for the people who either weren't paying attention or for the people who weren't quite smart enough to keep up with what was going on on stage. They would come out and do like a little a, like a little reenactment, almost like babies, right. babies first, you know, a Shakespeare right. play where they would just sort of really sum it up. And sometimes it was written in and sometimes it was just done, you know, sort of uh, off on its own. And 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 that to me feels like a lot of what this is. I mean, this is. I don't think you can do a nuanced. <laughs> I don't think you can do a nuanced id versus you know, or eros versus psyche. I think you have to have sort of an all or nothing approach. And so, in that, honestly, in that in that respect, I think the production holds up. I mean, no, I mean, because it was unrealistic in 1960, Huffman, whichever year it yeah. was, was it 60? Yeah. The 66? 66. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was an unrealistic presentation in 66 as well. So, I mean, to to sort of say, well, this is how they did television then, not really. I, I really I really think the decisions that were made to tell this particular story were very good. Highly stylized, you're right. But I personally think this I I think it stands up. I, I don't know. I mean for me as as a fan who's seen a lot of the show, I think I can kind of swallow it, but I, I just think that it is again so highly stylized mm-hmm. that it's a little bit of a hard sell to somebody who's new to it. You know, they see this mm-hmm. and go, wow, what, what's with the crazy lighting and the eyeliner and the <laughs> acting? And, you know, so, so I, I think for a maybe, maybe not, but maybe for a, a modern audience, um, if you were to redo this show, it would be a little bit different. Okay. Uh, but we'll, yeah, we'll, but we'll, we'll get into those other stylistic choices when you go evil. Oh, I don't know, maybe a beard um, <laughs> somewhere, somewhere <laughs> later down the road. Yeah, maybe we might do that. What is the message? Well, you know, like a few of the episodes that we've seen so far, this is more of an examination. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, let's throw it out there and let's see what happens. But if there's a message here, the, the message that is just hit right over your head by Spock and by McCoy is that man needs his dual nature to be whole. Um, and then the trick is to keep it in check. So you've got id, ego, super ego, and the super ego has to be there to keep the two sides in check, or else you will fail miserably and maybe die. Um, so as far as the message, well, you know, there's really nothing that you can actively do about it, maybe. You know, you have the personality that you have, um, but it, it does sort of make the case, uh, like we were saying earlier, that maybe calling something evil in you know, evil versus good isn't necessarily correct, but they are the two halves of the whole that we have to recognize and embrace. Though it's never stated explicitly, if, mm-hmm. we, if we extrapolate a tiny bit, it's quite possible that the message is, or you could apply this message anyway. Um, whatever that thing is about yourself that you don't like, it's okay. Because it's what mm-hmm. makes you, you. Now, granted, don't act on it. It's like if right. you walk down the street and, you know, there's a guy I want to punch. I want to punch that guy. Yeah, please don't do that. And then I feel bad later and I beat myself up internally because I wanted to hit that guy. Well, I mean, my wanting to hit that guy is just part of who I am. As long as I don't do it, it's cool. I mean, the thing that keeps me in check, the, king, the thing that keeps me all together. And you can apply that to anything. I want to eat everything in the house. I'm not going to eat everything in the house, but I want to eat everything in the house. Okay, well, that's, you know, part of who I am. Or, or man, I want to go on a three-week bender. I'm not going to. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe mm-hmm. the, the things that we look inside and see in ourselves that are that are abhorrent to us, that are ugly and animal, as Kirk is actually staring physically at that thing across from him. I mean, maybe the message is, yeah, we've all got that stuff. 
but I mean, it's part of who you are. Don't, don't, I mean, don't hate yourself for it. Don't give in to it, but don't hate yourself for it because I mean, without that, you're just a thing sitting on the couch, not making any decisions. I agree. So then that message, I mean, if that's the message or if we can decide that's the message and that totally stands up. Oh, I think absolutely. Yeah. Cool. All right. Hey, that's kind of awesome. Oh, all right. Happy ending. (laughs) Not that kind. Okay. (laughs) All right. So, Ken, next week after you were back from uh, walking down the street punching people. Or not. Just thinking about it. Just thinking about it. Okay. We will be back and we will be big pimping with Harry Mudd and his collection of cuties in Mudd's Women. Mary Sirwinski, the Televixen from Los Angeles here. I'm a little biased when it comes to where no man has gone before because of my viral campaign to get me cast as the next Dr. Daner. However, this episode is one of the pivotal TOS stories where we explore everything from power, corruption, false gods, the frailty of friendship, and we get a knockdown, drag-out fight to boot. I love this episode for so many reasons. It had quality guest stars, Gary Lockwood and Sally Cullerman. It's hard to believe Arlene Martell, to pring from a mock time, was actually offered this role originally. I can't picture anyone but Sally playing Daner, except for maybe me, about 45 years later. It's quotable from everything, from the walking freezer unit line to morals are for men, not gods. Uh, Command and compassion is a fool's mixture. Those are just a few nuggets of awesomeness that we see here. In addition to this show being full of moral messages, I feel like we got to see behind the curtain a little bit when it comes to the production side. They're still trying to figure things out, uh, from the uniforms to Kirk's middle name, what you call different parts of the ship, uh, how much they wanted to reveal about Spock's human side. Overall, this episode is ranked really high in my book for the backstory we learn on Kirk, the drama, the action, and the morality play. Sorwinski out. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got a split. See what I did there? And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.